Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. And so today, we started this really briefly last week, but I want to address the parents' responsibility to their children. Their posture should be one of loving and disciplined mentorship. God has entrusted us as parents to discipline and mentor our children so that they can know how to follow Jesus. He talks to the fathers in verse 21, and he says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. NIV said, don't provoke them. Don't embitter them. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, just reviewing again, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Do not exacerbate your children. Remember we talked about that? Yeah. And we also said last week that the word father can be interchanged with the word parent. Because this idea of embittering children has to do with being a reason or a source or the source that causes a deep-rooted bitterness inside the child. It causes anger to settle down inside the child. And then it affects them for the rest of their life. And what we understand about parenting is that either the mother or the father can have this type of effect on a child. And so it's not, even though the scripture says fathers, we know he's speaking to all of us that are parents. Amen? See, this is important because when the child becomes embittered, their hearts become calloused. They can become discouraged. They can become enraged and unforgiving. There are many, many stories of very toxic parent-child relationships that end in pain, that end in despair, that end in abandonment because of this specific issue. So I want to deal with five areas that we can maybe knowingly or unknowingly embitter our children. The greatest investment you can ever made is not in the stock exchange. The greatest investment you can make is in the life of the children God has entrusted to you. And I would even put before that the investment of your life in God's kingdom. So we would just lead with that. The investment of your life in God's kingdom and then the investment of your life in your children. So, number one, parents embitter their children when they choose to not discipline them. Have you ever seen an undisciplined child? They were rolled up in Walmart, Kmart. Kmart's not around anymore, right? Um, Target. And you can see that there is an issue with the parent-child relationship because this child is going to another level in their response and the parent really doesn't know how to respond to them. 
Have you ever seen that? And the, the parent looks very, um, very timid and, and very embarrassed because they don't really know. I'm going to say this, that it's not just them, because we all have children that were terrible, terrible twos, right? I, I was a terrible two. And so we understand that. The issue is, you know, there is a point of maturity that, that children should grow out of that. And they can respond to the discipline of their, of their parents. So, um, when we don't discipline our children, this is one of the quickest ways to develop, develop bitterness in a child. And what I mean by that, because when we spoil the child, the child grows up with a thankless heart. And they will become easily embittered when authorities don't conform to their will. So, so, so here's the picture. We're in Walmart and we're seeing the four-year-old, the seven-year-old, the nine-year-old imposing their will on their parents. And the parent is literally flabbergasted, do not know what to do or how to respond. I would suggest, I would, I would uh, submit that if you were to trace the relationship of the parent-child of that scenario, that the child is not being disciplined in the home. See, see um, Solomon says this. Everybody say Solomon. Okay, good to go to Solomon. So, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. This is Solomon, the king. He says, folly or foolishness <laughs> is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Can, can I say it again? Everybody know what Solomon's saying there? He's saying, he says, he says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it out. Parents embitter their children by not choosing to drive out the foolishness in their children. They're so busy trying to coddle them. We're so busy trying to make sure that their self-esteem is doing really, really good that we don't choose to drive out the foolishness. And how many know what you don't drive out your house, you choose to live within your house? Oh my goodness. And what you choose to live in, it, your, what you choose to live within your house will eventually rise up to try to rule you in your house. And so, as parents, we need to understand it is our responsibility to train them up and mentor them. Number two, parents embitter their children by abusing them or giving them improper discipline. When children are abused, either verbally or emotionally, mentally or physically, what it does, it literally sows seeds of anger in that child. Hatred begins to form in the child. The anger that is sown in the heart of these children can be hard to root out. And may require some counseling. And sometimes it may require some deliverance. Everybody say amen. Because we still believe in the deliverance in this sanctified church, right? I know the church is really caught up with teaching and, and exegetical ex exposition and, and all the things that we do. But there's nothing that can substitute for driving a devil out of a person. 
Uh, we see it so candidly in the scriptures when Jesus would deal with situations and, and demons would show up and Jesus would just deal with them. He didn't say, come, come alongside gently, let me, let me counsel the devil out of you. See, there's a time for counseling and then there's a time for deliverance. But here is the reason why I believe why well, you don't see a lot of deliverance in the church. Because we don't want to be like the sons of Sceva. This is not even on the notes. We don't want to be like sons of Sceva. See, sons of Sceva says that they're going to try to deal with a devil. And the devil is saying, wait a minute. Uh, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But I don't really know you. What is the devil saying? He's saying, you don't really have any authority to drive me out. So let me just jump on you right now and consume your soul. And so because we know we're not really living in that place with God of authority, we choose to counsel the devil out rather than driving the devil out. And everybody know that that's a losing proposition because the devil is not impressed with our words. Okay. <laughs> I know that's not for you. That's for somebody you know. So we, 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 we're good. We're good. <laughs> See, see, when, when a child is um, abused through the improper way of, by way of discipline, many times those children will come up and they become abusers themselves. When a parent does not know how to manage their own anger, listen, listen, when, when discipline their child, they will operate out of anger. And then it'll be easy for them to start cursing the child or start criticizing the child or even end up start physically abusing the child. And then when they discipline that child out of anger, what they're literally doing is training the child how to operate in anger as well. So you see the sins of the parents passed down to the child and the cycle continues. There's so many times when you see a relationship with parent-child and the anger that's in the parent because they're frustrated. And it's not that they don't love the child, but they don't know how to respond to what the child is doing and deal with that versus deal with the stuff in here. And so that's one of the reasons why the church must come alongside parents and not just do, you know, dual family parents or, or, or um, what you would call the nuclear family parent where you have a mother and a father, but single parents also, and come alongside them because sometimes they're carrying so much in just trying to get from point A to point B, dealing with their past, dealing with their circumstances, dealing with their disappointments, their failures, and now they got to deal with that of the children. And so instead of us say, saying to them, you need to do something about your child. We need to impose God's love and grace and say, how can I help you, sister? How can I help you, brother? And come alongside them. Amen? Amen. Hmm. See, when we punish out of anger, what we're doing is we're training the child out of that anger and not out of love. The child learns when I'm angry, it's okay for me to curse. When I'm angry, it's okay for me to hit someone. When I'm angry, it's okay for me to go crazy. Why? Because they're seeing it modeled in the home, right? They never learn how to properly control their anger. 
And therefore, they struggle with this anger issue that can turn very easily to rage throughout their whole life. Parents who discipline their children um, in an angry spirit never teaches the child how to deal with the anger. The child grows up, and then they become this, this child, this person that is always on the offense, always ready for a fight. Have you met anybody like that? You're having a conversation, and, 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 and you think you can have a good disagreement, but all of a sudden it seems as though that person's ready to fight. And you're like, wait a minute, I wasn't really trying to go down that road. But all of a sudden that person has their dukes up, and they're ready to go at it. And, and you back up and you say, wait a minute, there's something else going on in your life. And so, and, 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 so, and so when anger is deep down on the inside, when rage is deep down on the inside, it doesn't take a whole lot for it to surface. You just push the buttons, and all of a sudden, you see that other person. See? Okay. Third, third, parents embitter their children by neglecting them. Neglecting them. Many children grew up becoming embittered because becoming embittered because their parents are not around. So the, they lack love and affection, and therefore they grow bitter towards their parents. And, you know, some parents, they have a lot of justification. You know, uh, pastor, I'm working two jobs, or, you know, I have things going on. But then there are others that that's simply, they're too busy climbing the success ladder. And so they'll send them off to boarding school, or they'll send them off to this camp, or they'll send them off over here or over there. And, and, and what they're doing is they're allowing someone else. Oh, Jesus, help me. You have, you have literally um, capitulated your responsibility of imposing your values in your child's life to someone else. And then the child comes back from the camp. And they start using some words, they start using some mindsets, and you don't, you don't really understand what's going on. Well, what's happened is you have capitulated that role to somebody else. And so we have teachers leading and ruling and parenting our children. And we have coaches and we, we have organizations. And this becomes very challenging. And so we have to know that it is never God's intent for those individuals to parent our children. It's God's intent. They can come alongside us and offer support, but the parenting responsibility, just look at the, your neighbor and say, the parenting is up to you. Amen. Amen. You know, teachers and coaches and babysitters, they're they raising the children. Nannies raising the children. It's like, what? No. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Number four, uh, parents embitter their children by never encouraging them and sowing and showing them affection. Thank you, Jesus. As I'm preaching this right now, some of you are right there, and then their, name, their faces of people is coming into your view. As you're hearing this, parents embitter their children by never encouraging them or showing them affection. There's a story about a very famous theologian by the name of Martin Luther. 
we all benefit from his revelation. You know what his revelation was, right, most of you? His revelation was this. It is by God's grace that we are saved and not by our works, lest anybody should boast. Why was that important? Because in the 1500s, it was all about doing my penance, doing my works, trying to purchase my salvation. Should do a little study on the Reformation. But anyways, here's a story, and this is a tragic story about Martin Luther. It is said that his father was so stern that Luther found it difficult to pray our father. The word father in his mind represented nothing but severity. The duty of a parent is to be both the disciplinarian and the encourager. Luther himself said, spare the rod and spoil the child. It is true, but beside the rod, keep an apple <laughs> to give him when he does well. So, so think about this. This man was so imprinted by the, the anger, the attitude of his father. When he thinks of his father, he thought of pain. He thought of being discouraged. He thought of that he's not worthy. And so he had a hard time translating father to our father. And Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he doesn't say, pray God of all the heavens and the earth and master of the youth. No, no, Jesus says to pray like this, our father. And so if we have a negative or a warped image of our earthly father, it's difficult for us to recognize our loving heavenly father. And so what we need is we need discipleship that can help us to see that our heavenly father should never be compared to our earthly father. Because he's not about how great you perform. <laughs> he's about how much he loves you and how much he wants to see you fulfill his plan for your life. Healthy, healthy uh, parents um, not only discipline and challenge their children, but they also encourage and reward them. Uh, parents reward their children when they do well, and they discipline them when they do wrong. We all know that. Then the children start recognizing this idea of fairness and balance. Number five. Parents embitter their children by showing favoritism towards other siblings. Hmm. This was a tough one for me because I experienced some of that. And I'm sure if we were to poll the house that some of you may have experienced some of that. One of the things that we need to understand about our parents, they can't love us further than their understanding of the word love. And so we should not hold them hostage for their behavior. What we have to be able to do is we have to be able to forgive them just like Jesus has forgiven us. Oh, Jesus. Because some of us, we get stuck right there. And we can't move past how we saw the favoritism in our house. Let me talk on, let me talk on this for a little bit. Um, in Genesis 37, we find a really good picture of this story with uh, 
Jacob and Joseph. And we won't be reading the text, but just know that it's there and you can go back and review. But Jacob gave Joseph the robe or the coat of many colors. It was signifying the fact that he favored uh, Joseph above all the other 11 brothers. Anybody know the story? This so embittered his siblings against their father and against Joseph that they decided, you know what? We got to get rid of this fella. And so they kidnapped their son. I'm sorry, their brother, their youngest brother. And they decided to sell him. They sold him into slavery and send him off to a different country because they were angry. How often do siblings become embittered against one another because of the unwise parenting that takes place in their house? And you see it show up. Some people don't even want to go to family reunions. We have siblings that we don't even talk to one another for years. And we don't even know why. We can't put our finger on the the issue that has created the rift in the relationship. But I want you to know that if that's you in here, that God's grace is sufficient. And his love covers a multitude of wrongs. Paul continues this whole theme of fathers and children in Ephesians 6. We read it earlier, verse 4. He says, fathers, don't exacerbate. Parents, don't exacerbate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It is one thing to come to God's house and receive instruction. It's another thing to go home and then execute, if you will, the instruction you have received. Everybody tracking with me? So when we come to church and we hear something and it makes us feel good, or some people may say it makes me feel inspired or it makes me feel encouraged, the key is the revelation of the truth you have received in the church, then you should go home and begin to practice and live out that truth. Because the power is not in the knowledge of the truth. The, prob- the, the power is in the doing of the truth. See, and so when we start doing this, we will start seeing that the environment in our home will start changing. Because if there is a rift with a, with a sibling or a parent, naturally we don't have the capacity to go deal with it. Because we're in pain, right? But when we can draw from the reservoir of heaven, and we can draw from the love of God... And now it's not me trying to love them or trying to reach out to them or trying to forgive them. But I am drawing from heaven, getting a supply from the supernatural realm to be able to move into that natural situation and say, I don't think that this is honoring God. I don't think it's honoring you that I have an ought, an offense against you. And so I'm just going to bring it to you as far as how I want to move forward. Sometimes they don't respond positively. But it's not, you, you don't have to be concerned about how they respond. Ah, what you got to be concerned about is how you are responding to the word. Because God's going to hold each and every one of us accountable to the word that we are receiving. Amen? Is this practical? Okay. Because y'all are real quiet. 
you know. <laughs> Amen. So instead of developing bitterness, this is what he's saying to the fathers, to the parents, and the children, parents must aim, must work very diligently to train children in the instruction of the Lord. Not in the instruction of Xbox. Not in the instruction of PS5. Did they even have that yet? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Where I'm going with this? I mean, we can instruct our children to do what they want to do. But if we leave it up to what they want to do, then we have literally stopped parenting them. And now they're parenting themselves. And so we have to help them to become balanced individuals. And so if they don't like reading, we can't say, well, you know, little Johnny don't really like to read books, so I guess he can just watch YouTube and get the information. No, you got to begin to impose on little Johnny's mind the importance of knowledge and that if they don't attain knowledge, the person with the knowledge will control their life. And I don't even know why I'm about to go here, but, but if we just sit back and see what's going on in the nation on CNN or on Fox TV and we don't engage the process, we will just be droning through life and have life done to us. Okay. Lord, help me. I've got to get out of that weed right there. But, but parenting. Because children will always want to tell us how they want to be parented. And you know, you know what the, the example would be? They'll tell us about little Susie down the street, how their mom let them do whatever. Little Susie is six years old. She's going to the beautician shop. She got nails as long as three inches. Little, little Susie, six years old. And, she, and, and then they'll start bringing that image to you, making you feel as though that you're not measuring up to little Susie, Susie's mom. What they don't realize is little Susie running the house. And so what they're really trying to do is create a situation where they now want to run the house. And you got to back that up. See? Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. So a, God, a God-centered marriage and family follows God's design. His divine blueprint that is shown in the scripture. And let's just, re- let's just rehearse it again. Re- recite it again. Here it is. Husband, love your wives, serve your wives, lead your wives, cover your wives. Wives, respect and submit to your husbands in everything. Children, obey and honor your children. I'm sorry, children, obey and honor your parents. And then parents, cover and train your children. But it didn't stop there in Colossians. It's now God in Christ is supposed to be over all of us. So verse 21 of um, Ephesians 5, if you were to turn there, verse 21. So here's, here's the posture. God in Christ is over us. It means that the entire family operates in reverential submission to God. <laughs> this is what he says. This is what it says. Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 11, thir- uh, 3 says, 1 Corinthians 11, 3 says, but I want, to, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. 
And so what we're seeing here in these scriptures, the idea of submission, really literally means, and we talked about this earlier, it's a military term which means that I'm putting myself under the uh, rank of another person. It It implies having the mindset of a servant. Being willing to cater to the expectations and the needs of those that's in my care. So, a couple of things about submission. God over us. So, we're talking about this whole mutual submission to God. So, submission does not mean that there is no authority in the church or in the family. It doesn't mean that we're becoming a doormat or we're compromising in everything to a person. Just want to set that straight. What it does mean is adopting a servant lifestyle and attitude. It means being at rest. It means growing in godly character. The gospel has the power to save and to heal and to change any person who surrenders to it. And put their faith in Jesus. One of the main challenges that we have is people calling themselves Christian but not willing to submit to God's word. Everybody say, that's dangerous. Okay? Because what tends to happen is what we're doing is we're operating in deception. And so when, we, when, we, when, we, when we're carrying the badge but we don't have the authority to back it up, then we put ourselves in some very compromising situations. And so God is calling us to be surrendered to him. Okay, let's just wrap this up. Here are a couple of principles. Two main principles that we want to take away with with regards to, to family and marriage. Discipleship and this idea of ministry or serving. So, so we know what discipleship is, right? It's the process by which spiritual formation is happening in our lives, um, in our families, in our marriages. And it's designed to conform us to Jesus Christ. That's discipleship, right? And then this idea of ministry or serving God, this should not happen if spiritual formation is not happening. Let me break this down for a second. So sometimes we want to come to church and we want to serve. And we want people to see that we're serving, right? And what we're, what we're doing is we're serving out of a desire to be either affirmed or appreci- appreciated or esteemed. But behind closed doors, we're not allowing Christ to be formed in us. And so what we're doing is we're putting serving ahead of discipleship. Everybody said that's backwards. We should be discipled, and out of that discipleship lifestyle, then we serve. Because what we can find ourselves doing is constantly being really busy in the kingdom and not really doing the word of the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. We can be doing all kinds of works in the kingdom, and our lives are tore up because the word is not ruling in our lives. In the kingdom. And that's why you can see someone in the church and you say something to them and they come out of left field and you're wondering, what did you just say? Because they're busy doing the work, but they are not allowing the word to do the work in them. Everybody, everybody tracking with me? And so it's important for us to make sure we're not putting the horse before the. 
or by vice versa. Okay, so uh, the God-centered family is established with the foundation of a God-centered marriage. We all know that. Amen? So what God has put together in marriage, let no man separate. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Let me just read it, and then we're about to wrap this up. Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, haven't you read? Because they're going to ask him some questions about divorce <laughs> in Matthew 19, if you read that in context. Uh, he, he, uh, Jesus said, haven't you read? He replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. I could park right there for a second because some brothers don't know how to leave their mother and father. And then he says, and the two will become one flesh, verse 6, so they are no longer two, but they are one. Have you ever seen a marriage where it's evident that they're two, but they're trying to act like they're one? God's calling us into oneness is a process, amen? Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. Let, let me wrap this up here. Uh, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Number two, prevention is always better than cure. We're talking about marriage. Prevention is always better than cure. Therefore, as Christian followers, as Christ followers, we must insist on preparing before marriage rather than repairing after the marriage. I'm going to say that again because <laughs> I know, Pastor, you don't understand. I really, really love them, and we're getting married tomorrow. And I'm backing you up saying, wait a minute, did you prepare? See, because if you prepare now, it will save you a lot of heartaches later. Amen? So, here's point number three. Your marriage and your family is God's gift to you. Sometimes you don't feel like they're, they're your gift. I get it. I get it. But I want you to know it's God's gift to you. What you do in your marriage and in your family is your gift back to God. The problems that are too big for you to solve is the evidence that God exists. And so you draw from that wisdom to deal with the issues that you're facing. Oftentimes, our responses are based upon people's words, attitudes, and actions towards us instead of what Christ has done for us or what he has said about us. He came to give us abundant life and wisdom and strength and peace and hope and joy and came, came to give us a future, church. We cannot control the attitudes and responses of people, but we can control our faithfulness to Christ. As we seek to walk in God's original design for God-centered marriage and family. So, God's calling us to walk in God-centered marriages and God-centered families. <laughs>